Hey everybody, this is a very special episode for me. I am super excited to bring you the highlight reel for 2023. We've talked to some incredible guests and today I'm going to bring you your favorite quotes from your favorite guests and we're going to talk about those quotes today. So thanks for joining me for the top 10 highlight reel from the Unbeatable Podcast. If you were with me all year long, we had incredible guests, some of them from the entertainment industry, a lot of them from the military. We had everyday regular parents that have gone through tragedies. We've had business leaders, we've had authors, and we've had the whole spectrum on this show. And like every episode, These are regular people. That means they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you do, who have gone through some pretty incredible things. And I've always said, it's not the circumstances that make the man or the woman. It's the man or the woman in the circumstances that make all the difference. So these guests, not only did they go through some pretty intense, pretty incredible things in life, but they didn't let those circumstances overwhelm them. They got knocked down. They got punched in the face. Some of them got beat up by life. But instead of staying on the mat, They dusted themselves off, got back up, and the reason we call them unbeatable is not because they never got punched. It's because when they got punched, they got right back in there and kept going until they ultimately overcame their circumstances. So we're going to do this thing in reverse order. I'm going to go from number 10 on the list all the way up to number one on your list. I'm going to bring you your favorite clips from the episodes that were most viewed, most downloaded in 2023. And I'm going to try to give you a chance to go back through memory lane a little bit, remember some of the highs of the podcast over the last year. But also, I'd like to just give you a few comments, and maybe even a few challenges to prepare yourself for the 2024 year. So my first guest, the first person that I have a chance to talk to you about is from episode 74. This is Eddie Kenny. Eddie and I got a chance to meet one another electronically. We've never actually met in person through a mutual friend. And the more that I got a chance to talk to this guy, to email him, to to find out about him, the more that I liked him, which if you know me at all, you know is highly unusual because Eddie is a Navy SEAL. And as a career Army Ranger, there's always this friction between Navy SEALs and Army Rangers. But I hit it off with this guy. I love this guy. And I have the greatest respect for what Navy SEALs do for our country. Most of that was forged in the fires of the basic underwater demolitions course. 
sometimes referred to as BUDS, B-U-D-S. Well, in episode 74, I asked Eddie to describe BUDS for you if you have no idea what this brutal course is like. And here is Eddie's description of BUDS. Check this interview out. Hey, I want the listener who doesn't understand BUDS. I got a, a, a basic understanding of it because of many years of serving with the SEALs, but describe not just Hell Week, but just describe what BUDS does to your body, what, does, what BUDS, how it challenges you in every aspect of who you are as a man and a warrior. Yeah, so first off, just showing up, you hear all the horror stories, you hear you hear more about the failures than you hear about the hey that guy made it through. You hear about like this many people quit. So yeah. already you're you're taking in the negative which does uh play on your brain, mm -hmm. on your mindset. Um but typically the start of buds is 6 months. The first 2 months is what is called first phase, which is your basic intro, kind of the beat down Let's find out if you really want to be here. Yeah. You do some basic over-the-beach um, surveillance, reconnaissance. It's really just a beatdown, to be honest with you. Yeah. Second phase is two months as well, and that's your dive phase where you learn open circuits, daytime, nighttime. Then you go to closed circuit, which is bubbleless, daytime, nighttime. Mm -hmm. Then you learn to do ship attacks, learn to dive as teams, contour diving of the ocean's floor. Uh, and then third phase is two months as well. And that's like your land warfare where you get intro to explosives, yeah. shooting, working together as a team. And you do kind of some basic, um, basic ops, like, you know, training ops to put everything together. Uh -huh. So that's kind of buds. But at the beginning, they beat you down. That is really what it's all about is to like to make sure you want to be there. They use the cold. They use physical exertion. They yeah. use you being tired. They use all their tools that they have, and they have a lot. And physically, you are drained. But the toll that it takes mentally, that is when you really find out who you are. I, I learned that is, it doesn't matter. I, I use this all the time as if it doesn't matter if you can do a thousand push ups or a hundred push ups. But when they're done with you, you're not going to be, neither of you will do zero push ups because you are right. like just blah. But your yeah. mind, that is what they are trying to break. And if they can't break that, they can't break you. It doesn't matter. So yeah. that's that's what that's what really I learned in first phase is uh, and then that's where the hell week is is in the first phase like week five when I was there, uh, but it's it's a butt kicker it, it really is yeah. but um, but and you learn about yourself you learn about yourself sure. and you can do great things after. If you're watching this episode on YouTube, you can see that Eddie is a strong, a solid dude, <laughs> but Buds is designed to just wear you out. And let's be honest, when you name the first week Hell Week, you kind of know what to, you kind of get an idea of what to expect because they don't call it Hell Week for no reason, right? Definitely not. Eddie learned a lot in Buds. Eddie went through a lot in Buds. And the unimaginable gift that Eddie learned when he went through this brutal, grueling course that most of the toughest guys in America don't even attempt, let alone survive, the greatest lesson that he learned in BUDS is about himself. I used to tell people all of the time that I got a incredible, a priceless gift from my training as a ranger in the United States Army. The Army taught me a lot of incredible things, but the number one thing that the Army taught me 
was about myself. And when the army showed me my limitations and taught me that my limits were far greater than anything that I expected, man, that was a change that made a big change in my life. I hope when you go through some challenges and you feel like you don't know if you have what it takes to hang in there anymore, I hope that you learn from Eddie. Maybe you learn from other people that have gone through something similar to what you're going through. If they can make it, you can make it. And when you make it on the other side of those really tough challenges, that's the moment that you start to learn something about yourself. By the way, those are the moments that make you tougher and more resilient when something even greater happens to you in the future. So in 2024, I want you to remind yourself, I've gone through some hard things in the past. And if I can make it through those hard things with friends and with family and a rock solid faith, then I can make it through whatever 2024 sends my way. Number 10 on the list is Eddie Penny. Now moving on, to number nine on your list of your favorite episodes. This is the most unlikely of people that I would have on this show. Her name is Lois Wagner. Now, Lois lives in South Africa. She is an older woman and Lois went through this unimaginable circumstances. I learned about Lois's past by watching a short video that she did. And when I heard what happened to this woman, I was simply dumbfounded. I'm not gonna go back over all of the gruesome details of the man who attacked her, molested her, and knifed her so many times that she was left for dead and should have died in the dirt after being molested. But that's not what makes Lois's story incredible. Although she was able to recover, and I mean recover both physically and also emotionally, when Lois's attacker was arrested and put in jail, he was given years later an opportunity to go before a parole hearing. Now in South Africa at the time, this was many years ago, very often, the people that were involved in a violent attack were invited to come to the parole hearings. And up to this point, get this, y'all, no one had ever taken the courage to show up at the parole hearing. For whatever reason, Lois decides, I'm going to go to the parole hearing where this man who attacked me is being the, where the courts are determining whether they should release this man who violently attacked me, molested me, and stabbed me so many times that I almost bled out. So Lois describes in vivid detail what it's like at this parole hearing. And it's not some nice, safe, comfortable government building. She has to go inside a prison and into a room that has never been prepared for this because no one has ever taken the government of South Africa up on this option. Now Lois describes in her own words, I'm going to let her do the talking, what happens next when she enters into this prison and she confronts the man who brutally attacked her and molested her and sees him for the first time since his trial. Listen to Lois in her own words. 
bring all of those bad feelings back. Yeah, I can see why everybody would tell you, don't go, Lois. And uh, I just said, the universe has spoken, you know, I've got to go. And they said, to what end? You know, are you going to support his parole? I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've just got to go. I, I have to go. And uh, then, then a friend of mine, he said to me, well, if you're going to go, you, you must forgive him. And I said, <laughs> yeah, right. I'm going to forgive this man. You know, okay, <laughs> hold on just a second. I got to know. What was the reasoning that your friend told you if you're going to go? And everybody's telling you don't go because this is not going to be good for you if you go. But why would your friend tell you if you go, you have to forgive? Because that's the last thing I think most people have on their mind at a parole hearing for the man that viciously attacked you like this. Well, he he is a, a Christian man. And he had been through some, which he's never told me what, he'd been through some kind of trauma in his life, and he's never shared that with me. Um, and he just said, I'm telling you, you have to forgive. And uh, so I thought... And what was, can I just ask you, what was your first reaction when he said, you have to forgive? Like, what were you really thinking when he, he said that to you? Out of your tiny cotton-picking that's little exactly mind. That's, I was, that's what <laughs> would be going through my mind. Like, are you insane? <laughs> Yeah, and but what I did was then I went and I visited Mr. Google and I Googled a lot and read up a lot on, on forgiveness and what was it and what was it all about. And I prepared a little speech and I thought just in case. But I really had no, no, no intention of ever forgiving this man. I got I landed in Cape Town the next morning I got up I drove out, the prison was out in the country, a beautiful, it was such a beautiful drive, absolutely stunning, um, beautiful flowers. The, the spring mm -hmm. in, in the Cape is unbelievable. We get these flowers that just come up everywhere out of nowhere. It was such a beautiful drive. In the distance, there were mountains with snow on the top, and it was just so beautiful. And I was calm and relaxed, and I came around the corner, and there was this prison with barbed wire fences and armed guards. And I thought, oh, what am I doing here? Yes, what am I doing? <laughs> and uh, they, they, were, um, they were expecting me, and I was the first person that had ever come to one of these parole hearings. And so they didn't quite know what to do with me. Really? The first one that ever took them up on the offer of, you can go to the parole hearing if you want. Yeah. yeah. They really didn't know what to, what to do with me. And they led me through the prison. I had to walk through the prison. Uh, gates clanging shut behind me. It was... Which it was must have been terrifying. And all these men in their overall, orange overalls sitting around waiting for whatever they were waiting for. So it was quite an uncomfortable experience. But I got to uh, the, hall, the the interview room, whatever it's called, and the first thing is they apologized. They said they were building a proper rooms for these in the future, but because I was the first one, I had to do it in the in the prison itself. And um, they explained the procedure to me, and then they called in the prisoner. So and, is this the first uh, time you've seen him kind of face-to-face -face in the same room since the attack? Oh, well, I saw him at the court case, obviously. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he was given, I, I don't know if I mentioned he was given 25 years. No, 25 years, okay. Yeah. Um, was, now he's been sentenced yeah, in prison for yeah, how long? When 14. the parole came up? 
14 yeah, years. 14 okay. Years, yeah. And and just bearing in mind that in those days, 25 years was an unheard of sentence. Um, rape was given mostly about a 10-year sentence. Mm-hmm. So I had a fantastic, fantastic prosecutor. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, so he was given 25 years. So there I was 14 years late. He came in. Um, he We sort of looked at each other. I don't I don't recall feeling anything. Um, but they went through and it was quite a long process. They went through his behavior and what he had done and what courses he had done and uh, how he had progressed. He had joined the gangs. We've got a I don't know if you've heard about the, the gangs in the in mm-hmm. the uh, South African prison yeah. system. There's some very vicious, ugly gangs. Um and I think they have to join these gangs for survival. To survive, yeah. yeah. So he was a gang member. Anyway, we went through the whole thing. And then when it was finished, they said to me, did I have anything to say? And I said, yes. <laughs> I pulled out my little speech. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, I started reading it. And as I was reading it, I realized as well that he, he, didn't under- he wouldn't understand it because um, English was not his first language. Mm-hmm. And I'd written it quite academically, I suppose. Um, and I thought, oh. Even I don't understand what I've written here. And so I, I just I can't remember now exactly what I said, but something like I looked at him and I say, I want to passionately and completely forgive you and I want to take the responsibility from my higher self and I'm handing it back to your higher self and you must now deal with it. And I forgive you. And everybody was shocked. There was this dead silence in the room. I mean, the, the, the authorities, there must have been about eight gentlemen in the room who were the authorities, and there was a priest and various. They all just looked at me, all big-eyed. And um, and then they told me that they would let me know in seven days if he got parole or not. And it was, I, I've still never been able to put any of this into words. It was the most amazing thing. I just looked at them. I said, no. You won't tell me if he's got parole or not. I don't need to know. Um, you know, because what, you know, when unforgiveness is when you're bonded to somebody or to something and you, you held so tight to that and you are suffering. The other person has often walked away from it and totally unaware that you've got any form of suffering. So you're bonded. You you are feeling that pain. You are remembering the hurt. And when you forgive, what it does, it just breaks that bond. It actually breaks it and it sets you completely free from that situation, from that individual, from whatever was going on. And, um, yeah, I didn't walk out of that prison. I flew out of that prison. Wow. This short clip that I just showed you doesn't do justice to the whole story. Lois is an incredibly amazing woman. And what blows me away about her, what really motivated me to want to have her as a guest on the podcast is how Lois was willing to confront her own struggles to get herself psychologically and spiritually healthy and then go to this prison and do the unimaginable. Offer forgiveness to the man who did to her what would have simply overwhelmed most human beings on the planet. If you wanna talk about raw strength of character, if you wanna talk about what it looks like to be tough and to be strong 
internally, I can't think of a better example. I can't think of a greater demonstration of this than what Lois did in that prison room when she offered forgiveness to the man who brutally attacked her. Lois, if you're listening to this episode, to this day, I am impressed. I, actually, I should say this word. I am amazed at who you are and what you did, and I'm inspired by you. And I hope that the rest of the unbeatable listening audience is inspired by you and your story as well. Now, moving on to number eight on the list. Number eight on the list starts this little mini series that I did in the middle of the year. Of course, 2023 was the 30th anniversary of the big battle in Somalia that I have talked about regularly on this podcast. This podcast isn't for me, it's for you and trying to bring you amazing guests. But I do think that short 18 hour battle in Somalia was pivotal for a lot of people. And I'm not just talking about the Americans and the Somalis that were in the fight. I do think it was pivotal for a lot of people because of the way that this battle was portrayed in a newspaper article that blew up the internet and became a best-selling book, which blew up the book sales and became a blockbuster movie, which blew up at the movie theaters. I'm, of course, talking about Black Hawk Down. I wanted to interview a few people that I know personally what they did in Black Hawk Down and their stories just didn't get all of the attention that it deserves. So the first guy that I interviewed and a couple of those interviews made it to the your top 10 list. The first guy that I interviewed in my mini series, stories that I wish would have made it to Black Hawk Down was Matt Eversman. We're both squad leaders in Bravo Company 3rd Ranger Battalion in Somalia together. Matt and I um, have kind of paralleled each other after Somalia. And Matt is one of those guys that I have the absolute greatest respect for. Matt went through something in Somalia. And I'm not just talking about getting shot at like all of us did. Matt went through this extraordinary leadership challenge. So on part one of my five-part mini-series, stories that I wish would have made it to Black Hawk Down, I asked Matt to describe what it took to be able to step in and start to lead at the next level up when his boss had to leave Somalia and go back to the United States on an emergency uh, for emergency purposes. And now Matt has to lead at the next level and that's where Matt finds himself right before the big battle kicks off. I'm going to let Matt describe for you in this next clip why he was so successful leading at the next level. Listen to Matt in his own words. You know, in, in training, you realize, you know, most of the time, you know, you, you dust yourself off at the end of the day. You pick it up. They're like, hey, you know, Struker, you're out. Just, you know, Matt step in or whomever, and, and you do it, and you take your lumps, and you learn by doing, and all that kind of good right. stuff. But, you know, you don't really realize that, at least I didn't. I mean, you can hear it logically, but I don't know that the real gravity of it is that, you know, leaders die on the battlefield just like anybody else does. 
you know, That's right. and we, we, a force like this, a small, nimble ranger force, um, you know, is able to, to, to keep, to keep churning because we, we drilled this in. We take you right at the more, most inconvenient moment, take the leader out yep. of the equation yep. and let somebody, hey, you, you're in charge now. And, um, man, it is, uh, you talk about stress, you know, when regimental commander, you know, when a, when a battalion commander or whomever is watching and all of a sudden, you know, you, the spotlight's on you and, and you gotta shine, you gotta perform. I mean, that's what this unit demands. So it, it requires a lot. And I don't mean that to pat myself on the back. We all did it. You know, we, we all did it, but it's a, it's a great exercise that pays off great dividends on the battlefield. That's for sure. Matt, I remember my first couple of years in the Ranger Regiment when I was still a private, they would kill off a leader and they put Private Struker in his role and said, all right, Struker, what are you going to do? I'm just a private. I'm supposed to follow orders, not give orders. But this unit drilled it every single training mission. And no wonder when this thing happens for real and Chris Hardy is removed from the equation, Matt is able to step in and to fill a huge hole. And Matt, you did it with excellence, Matt. You did it very, very well. Well, you, you again, you flatter me. Uh, you know, listen, the, there are plenty of mistakes. You know, I made plenty of mistakes. And, you know, we, we all not just trying to be coy about self-deprecating Review. Like there are a lot of dumb things I did that I I hope didn't get anybody hurt. I don't think so. But if you had a do over, you would be like, man, I'm gonna you know next time this yeah. happens, you know, do X. But uh, as I said before, we started taping though, Jeff. You, you know, the, this the caliber of of men in this force, the whole force. You know, from red, blue, green, brown. You know, um, certainly from my perspective. Uh, you know, I'd go back to any fight. I'd go down any dark alley with any of them any day. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, but it, you know, there, there, there's a there was an atmosphere of 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 I thought just just great positive energy moving towards success. With if you're listening, you would probably say, of course there was, but that's taken it to a whole other level. That caliber of kids, men that were there, it's uh, it's almost indescribable to be honest. Without yeah. Again, just giving platitudes out for the sake of it. People, I'll, I think, would start to be I'll like, okay, this. I don't believe you anymore. You just heard Matt describe what the training in the Ranger Regiment was like. And it's not just the Ranger Regiment. This doesn't just happen in the U.S. military. There are many great organizations that prepare people to be able to lead at the next level. What it takes is to do the next man up drill, the your leader has just been taken out of the equation. I know that you're not formally in this role, but we're gonna place you in there temporarily just so that you are prepared when you get into that role um, for good. And one of the things that I think is incredible about Matt's story, his courage on the battlefield was very well portrayed in the book and the movie Black Hawk Down but I don't think the movie demonstrated the extra amount of leadership pressure that was on Matt while we were in Somalia because he was being asked to lead at the next level. Let's just face it. He doesn't have all of the experience that he needs to be able to lead at that next level. I hope 
Many of you are making a very simple corollary right now, a very simple connection. Chances are something is going to happen to you in 2024 that you're not totally prepared for. One of the ways to start to get yourself ready to be able to lead at the next level, to be able to handle the next challenge is to start to prepare yourself before those incidents happen. I really do believe one of the greatest gifts the Ranger Regiment provided to me was throwing me in a leadership position all the way from my first days there as a private. And that's what helped me to lead at the next level after my boss was shot up and had to fly out of Somalia. And now I'm being asked to lead at another level and not just in Somalia, but multiple times. Maybe this happens to you in 2024. And if you want to be ready, if you want to be able to give your best, you have to kind of prepare yourself for it ahead of time. So maybe you're going to have a chance at that big promotion this year. And if you want to absolutely nail the next level, start working for it, start preparing for it, start getting yourself ready for it right now. And then when the opportunity comes, you're already prepared for it. Matt, thank you for the inspiration that you were to me on the battlefield, but thank you for inspiring the listeners in this podcast to be ready to lead at the next levels. Matt was the perfect first guest for this mini series, stories that I wish would have made it through the in the book or the movie Black Hawk Down. And of course, you really like this mini series because more than one of those guests made it to your top 10 list. So the next person in my highlight reel for 2023 was Dan Gelato. Dan, of course, was a Black Hawk pilot. In Somalia, Dan flew the search and rescue aircraft. And as Dan and I talked in episode 107, the search and rescue is the one aircraft that nobody ever wants to see show up to the fight because if the search and rescue aircraft with all of its people go on to the fight, that means something really bad has already happened. I watched Dan Gelada do two things in combat that I don't think I've ever seen another pilot do in my entire lifetime. You heard me right, not just one thing in combat, I saw him do two things in combat, and these two things really didn't make it into the movie or the book Black Hawk Down. I have burned in my memory the video recording that we have from one of our intelligence aircraft in the skies, as Dan Gelada brought his helicopter in and started to hover those air, uh, his helicopter over the streets right after a helicopter has gone down. Dan is putting in the search and rescue force. And then I'm going to let him tell you in this clip what happens to him next. And then amazingly, mind-blowing what he does after that. Listen to Dan in his own words. At this point in the fight, I'm actually driving Blackburn back to the base. I'm under fire. Pilla is killed. I make this call on the command net that Pilla's dead. And I'm trying to fight my way back to the airfield. But honestly, I'm in over my head in this really small three-vehicle convoy. 
after the fight is over with, we all get together. You'll, you may remember this. And we're reviewing some of the surveillance footage from our aircraft that are in the airs. And I watched what you did. And that moment has never, ever left me. Because when your helicopter got hit, it is very, very well noticeable from the surveillance footage. And I watched the RPG hit the tail. I watch you start to lift the aircraft. I see that there's still rangers on the ropes. And any human being would say, I got to get out of here. We're already taking small arms fire. I can hear the clicking in the metal. We just took a, an explosive device to the tail. We're all going to die if we stay in the air where we're at. And then I watched you put that helicopter right back in and to a hover and hold it there until everybody got off the rope and they cut the ropes away. And Dan, to this day, that is the most courageous thing I've ever seen somebody do in the air in my life. It wasn't me, Jeff. It was those two, those two uh, crew chiefs in the back. Yeah. Kenny Hickman and Daryl McKeon that really talked me out of what I wanted to do. Sure. Everybody <laughs> on that aircraft <laughs> wanted to get the heck out of there because we're going to die if we stay up here right. in the air. And you stayed up there in the air, which is entirely contrary to human nature. And I don't know if I can even find the right words to explain that to the audience. Um, but your your role doesn't stop. Man, if it was just that alone, you would be on my list of one of my uh, one of my most uh, respected aviators. But your role doesn't stop there. So now pick up with what you do next after you yeah. take the air, aircraft back to the airfield. Yeah, it's and I and I, I really I'll tell you in the audience, it's the bond and the commitment to the guys in the back yeah. that caused my next move and caused so we landed the airfield we had one spare aircraft the one spare aircraft just had an engine change that morning and had engine runs done so any aviator out there knows that there's a whole process of maintenance test flights and, yeah. and tweaking of engines and the maintenance pilot came over to me and, and we had the cowling the uh, engine cover is off and the engine is, is bare bones there. And I told the maintenance guy, I said, you are not going to get a chance to fly this aircraft. Yeah. We have got the only PLS system on the board for the listeners. It's a personnel locator system, which tracks radios yeah. that you yeah. guys are carrying. Yeah. and gives us, um, gives us um, a heading and distance to where that radio is. So we're the only ones that can track any type of ground movement um, in the air. And then... And then I had a, a, a huge, powerful commitment to get back into the fight yeah. because I left guys on the ground that I bonded with over yeah, the weeks of time. So um, it took us an hour. It took us literally an hour to get gas, to, to switch things from my aircraft to the spare aircraft, put the engine cowling on, get it, everything ready to go. And to this day, that the crew was ready to get back out in the fight. Yeah. Listen, imagine you're flying into combat, you're flying into an area that is so deadly that one of your buddies has already been shot down. You're flying in to put the customers in the back, as Dan describes them, into the target area and you go under gunfire and you get hit so bad that every other rational human being on the planet, I, I'm telling you this because I've seen it countless times, any other rational human being would have immediately flown out of the city and protected themselves and everybody else on the back. I watched Dan bring that aircraft right back to a hover after taking a direct hit with a rocket propelled grenade. 
and get everybody off of that aircraft. And in his mind, I am convinced Dan knew I am going to die because I just left this aircraft out there to the point that it's going to go out of, uh, I'm going to lose the aircraft and I'm going to have to crash it. And then that's the first and one of the most incredible things that I've ever seen somebody do in combat. But what he does next is the second. And in my mind, equally as mind blowing, he crash lands the first aircraft, runs down the airstrip and fires up another one and says, put me right back in the fight. I can't tell you what a privilege it is. To my dying day, I will let people know what an honor it was to serve with people like Dan Gelata because of that kind of courage. Dan, I don't know if you're listening to this episode, but because of you, because of your wife while she was over in Somalia, because of your family, your daughter doing what she's doing for our country right now, flying in with the Night Stalkers. I just want to tell you, man, thank you for helping to keep us a free and a safe country. Because if it wasn't for you, buddy, I don't know where we would be right now. Now I'm going to move on to episode number six on your highlight list. This comes from uh, number six in the uh, top highlights from 2023. comes from episode 88, and it is Alex Maddox. Now, Alex is the wife of a slain police officer. Chase and Alex had an incredible marriage. They had an amazing family. They had a child with special needs. And then the unthinkable happens. The thing that no spouse on the planet wants to have happen to them, Alex loses her husband in a, in the line of fire. And that alone would devastate most women. That alone would devastate most men, let's just be honest. But for Alex, the tragedy doesn't stop there. When she recorded episode 88 with me, just a few months before this interview, she also lost their first child, their special needs child. So now Alex is a woman who has lost both her husband and one of her two children. And she's got one son left named Brody. And Alex has to figure out how am I going to live with the grief? I'm not going to ignore what I'm going through. But she also has to learn how do I turn my pain into a purpose? How do I make sure that I don't, and these are Alex's words, and they are very powerful words. How do I make sure I don't die also with the dead? How do I keep living in spite of the heartbreak and the loss that I've gone through? And wow, this lady really blows me away. Here's Alex describing what it's like, just as real and as gut level honest as she can be after losing a husband and then right just a few months before losing her son. Listen to Alex Maddox in her own words. I've written down a couple of statements from you today and this is another one that I heard from you that I really, am, it's gonna stay with me. Um, Alex, there are people that are listening to your story right now, and it is heart-wrenching what you've gone through. And they're just sitting there thinking to themselves the, the grief that this woman has had to experience, both with a husband and with a child, no fault of your own. 
Um, and it's bad enough to lose one, to go through both. And you still have to be there for Bodhi, of course. And you still have to l choose to live. Don't die with, with the dead, but to live and to honor them. Um, but I know that there are some people that are asking the question right now, how did you do it? Like, weren't there some times where you just felt like, God, this isn't fair and I don't deserve this. And why are you doing this to me? How did you just keep it together and get up in the morning and put some clothes on and make breakfast for your son instead of laying in a ball in the bed and, you know, in tears? I'm not going to tell you that there aren't days like that. Um, there have been, there's been some very ugly moments. And I think that it is important to recognize that for me, right after Chase, I went into grief therapy almost immediately because I knew I had two very dependent children on yeah. me. They were dependent for everything with their livelihood. Everything. So I yeah. think that kept me going. Um, but there has been ugly moments. And I think that it's important to recognize that with your heart and your mind, because you can't just push them back. If you need to have a bad day, have a bad day, but, yeah. but know that the sun is going to come back out. It's not going to be a storm forever. Um, kind of like with Brayden and, you know, people look at the complexities of Brayden and look at me and chase all the time and be like, I don't know how y'all do it. Yeah. Well, we weren't really given a choice. So we're just going to, we're just going to roll with it. Um, and I believe that most people have that strength in them. And I wanted, if Chase ever gets a chance to check in on me, I wanted him to look down. And I wanted him to be proud of the life that I lived. I know the woman he chose to raise his children and I wanted to be that woman. Um, it's, it's been hard every day, I think of Chase and Braden and, and I miss them. And Bodie is a light. Bodhi is chase made yeah. over. He is goofy and he's funny and nothing. He's sensitive a little bit. He got that from me, but um, yeah. not much gets him down. And I don't want to kill that beautiful spirit. And so if I have a bad day, I've got a wonderful family. I mean, he's got my side and, and my in-laws side uh, and ton of friends that, that will take him and, and they'll let me have my moment um, and they'll let me get myself back together. And then, Bodie and I keep rolling and I'm, it, it's been an uphill battle. It's been five years, about six months for Brayden. And, uh, I think part of my body's like, we've been through this before, you know? Um, so I believe my brain processes it a little bit better than, than the shock that I had, uh, after chase, but I believe that you can turn pain into purpose and, so I'm working, you know, with a nonprofit organization to that helped me after Chase died to, to help other families. Um, I just choose to live like Chase did and live like Braden did, you know, keep, keep listening to music, enjoy the sunshine, laugh, yeah. have fun. Don't, don't focus on the couple of bad days that you have because it's, it's a bad day. It's not a bad life. Right. And it's it's hard, but do it to honor them because they were robbed of the little everything, everyday things. And that, that I think that's my main motivation. Did you notice that Alex doesn't try to always put on a happy face? Did you notice that she doesn't act like everything is OK? 
man, I am so glad that Alex gave me the permission. She gives you the permission to go ahead and have a bad day when something like this tragedy has happened to her, not once, but twice. And in spite of the bad days, in spite of the difficulties of just getting out of bed, she still has to figure out how to be a mom and how to make breakfast for Brody and how to move on and to keep living her life. This is what Alex means by don't die with the dead. My guess is you know somebody who has gone through some incredible tragedy. They are grieving some incredible loss, like a divorce, or they lost their job, or they lost uh, somebody that they loved over the last year. And they spiraled downhill, and their life has gone off of the cliff, and they have started to die with the dead. Well, that's why I love episode 88, and that's why I am so impressed with Alex and her story. That's why I'm glad Alex Maddox made it to the top 10 list for 2023, because there's a lot we can all learn from this incredible lady. All right, we're counting down. We're halfway there already from number 10 to number one on the highlight reel for 2023. And number five on that list comes from Greg Coker. Now, Greg was a special operations little bird pilot. And that phrase, little bird, is the the phrase that uh, all of us on the ground gave to that tiny aircraft that was heavily armored. I called it the most deadly weapon on any battlefield. And I have seen the entire arsenal around most of the country's militaries all over the world. And I am still to this day convinced that little bird, its weapon system, and as I said to, as Greg and I both described, that grease pencil mark on the cockpit um, plexiglass of that little bird is the most deadly weapon on the battlefield. And it's because of how well those pilots can fly and how exceptional they can fire the weapon systems just a hundred feet above the guys on the ground. Well, when you fly that low, when you fly as many combat missions as my buddy Greg Gravy, that's the nickname, Gravy Coker has flown, then there is a high probability you're going to get shot down. And of course, Greg got shot down in Iraq. A lot of guys don't survive. If you get shot down in a little bird, that tiny little helicopter with almost no protection, but Greg makes it out of the crash and he survives. And then Greg has to go through, listen to this number, 42 different surgeries after being shot down in Iraq. He has 47, you heard that number right, 47 pieces of titanium in his body. He's basically the $6 million man, if you remember that ancient TV show. And Greg wants to fly again. Now, who in their right mind would try to fly combat missions again after 42 surgeries and 47 pieces of titanium in his body? 
but Greg is one of those unbeatable guys who just won't quit. So I'm going to let you hear from Greg's own words why he would go through that kind of physical and those kind of medical uh, difficulties just to be able to fly again. Listen to what Greg has to say here. You talk about the emotional and the physical challenges that you had to go through to get back in the cockpit again. But then I, after you do that, I want to talk for a minute about your spiritual strength, because that yeah. comes out again and again. Your deep faith comes out again and again in the book, Death Waits in the Dark. Yes, sir. Yeah, I was, I get back and of course, you know, I sat down with all of our surgeons and we, we map out a plan and they asked me, they says, Hey, wh what do you want to do? I said, I, I want you guys to fix me so I can get back in a fight because my buddies depend on me. B company depends on me. And they kind of looked at me like, okay, yeah, this know? guy, so, but I have had a total of 42 surgeries and I have 47 pieces of titanium in my body with a few enemy frags and <laughs> I, stuff. I we we hit that way too fast. I want the listeners to hear this again. Listen to what it took for him to be able to get back in that aircraft and be FMQ. How many mm -hmm. surgeries? How many pieces of metal in your body? Forty-two surgeries total. Yes, and then forty-seven pieces of titanium in me. <laughs> Anybody would have tapped out after the second or third surgery. The fact that you were willing to go to those links to get back in the aircraft is nothing yeah. short of unbeatable, brother. Yes, sir. Yeah, Night Stalkers don't quit. Brother. That's right. They never quit. Not. Even after 47 pieces of metal in your body. No, no. Greg forged a bond with the guys that are on the ground. Greg, it's very easy to hear from his own words, loves those guys, and he loves those guys more than he loves his own life. And I am privileged to say I had Greg flying over my head in combat missions, and I probably wouldn't be alive today if it wasn't for Greg and guys like him that carried the fight and brought more firepower to the fight than any of us on the ground could provide. And Greg was willing to endure all of those surgeries and all of that medical ch challenges, not to mention the PTSD and the brain injuries and everything else. He was willing to go through it all because of his buddies. And I hope you have the kind of relationships, family, friends, coworker relationships like Greg, that you're saying, I would do anything for these guys and gals because I know they would do anything for me. Man, it is a beautiful thing when you have the depth of relationships like Greg had, that he's willing to go through what he went through because he loves the people on the ground that much. And I really do hope in 2024 that you have those kind of relationships. Now, I hope you never experience anything like Greg did, but I hope you have the kind of relationships that even if you were to go through them, you would deal with it the same way that Greg did because of the depth of those relationships. Greg, you fire me up, buddy. And I mean that because of the blades that you forge in the fires, but also because of the kind of uh, inspiration and example that you are to me and other guys like me. 
So thank you for being number five on the top 10 list of greatest episodes from 2023. Now we're going to move to a Nashville musician. I realize it's weird to go from Matt Eversman, Dan Gelada, Greg Coker, these incredible warriors to a country music artist. But I think episode number 84, Jay Allen's story probably relates to everybody at some point in their life. All of us have had a dream. All of us have started to chase a dream. And then all of us have probably realized, whoa, this dream is far more difficult. It's going to take far more from me than I actually anticipated. And that's the moment where all of us have to ask the question, is the dream really worth it? And most people, when it gets so difficult, will just give up on their dream, but not Jay Allen. But at some point, the dream just isn't coming to pass. That's when you start to rub up against reality. When your dream and your goal for 2024 hits reality and you're giving it everything that you've got and you don't want to give up, but you've been watching it, you've been working, you've been giving it everything for a long time and nothing is happening. That's the moment where you have a hard decision to make. And the hard decision is I gave it my best. And I guess my best wasn't good enough. Jay Allen finds himself in that place in Nashville after pouring his heart out, giving everything that he's got to the music industry in Nashville. This is a kid from the farmlands of Iowa that has left everything and put it all on the line to go to Nashville. And he has day in, months, years of grinding it out in Nashville and nothing is happening and finally, Jay gets to the point of saying, I guess my dream's never going to come to pass. So I'm going to go do one more show at a local bar. This is going to be my swan song, my last hurrah. I'm going to go perform a show. And then after that, I'm going to pack up my guitar and I'm going to move back to the farmlands of Iowa and I'm going to give up on my dream. Now, not really give up on my dream, but I gave my dream everything that I had and it just never came to pass. Jay is playing at a bar and he runs in to the most unlikely person sitting in the back of the bar and gets one piece of advice that changes Jay's life forever. Listen to who Jay ran into at that bar on his last performance before he leaves Nashville to head back to the farmland. This is obviously a tough guy. You're there in a muscle shirt. You've got tattoos all over, full sleeves, chest piece, everything else. <laughs> um, and obviously anybody who's watching this would think this dude is a tough dude, but I know when your heart is broken by an ex-wife, when the music career is falling apart around you, when you're away from home and everything is a struggle, man, this is rough. And uh, I'm just thinking about this, these, the, you know, the, the first few months, first few years that you were in Nashville, how, how brutal, um, how hard that town can be. It's not like anybody shows up and tomorrow they're headlining tours and they're making millions of dollars, man. Almost everybody goes through what you went through. Yes. And, uh, you know, someone saying that to me, what you just said, someone that had already been through it before me, 
Now, that's the, the fastest way to learn is to seek advice of the ones that have gone before you, right? So, yeah. um, you know, I had just been told um, who I thought the love of my life was that I completely trusted and never thought would have the capability to hurt me. Just shared this terrible news. Uh, and, yeah. and this deal that I'm working on, uh, thought I had figured it out, fell through. Um, I decided my first thought was I've always, been, you have fight or flight. You have two options in life. Fight. Oh yeah. Fight. Uh-huh. I've always been fight, but man, I was like, screw this. <laughs> this is why I moved to Nashville. I was right. That's right. I'm going back to work a farm in Iowa. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm going to go back and be a farmer, you know, I'm, or I'm going to lead worship part-time and be a farmer. What mm-hmm. I was right. This is why I didn't want to come to Nashville. So I decided in my mind, I was going to play a show, my last show. And so I booked it at a little venue here in town called Third and Lindsley. And uh, I'm like, I'm going to play the show and say I did it and then move back. And so. Okay. So hold on. Before you go any further, I'm getting a picture in my mind. You've already settled in your mind. This ain't working. I made a mistake. I'm going to do one more show just to get it out of the system. And then I'm going back to Iowa. I love where this is going. What happens when you play this show? Yep. So I get on stage and there's a handful of people there. And uh, they're just like the regular crowd. Uh, if you imagine being on stage and looking out, um, instead of having faces looking at me, I had a bar in front of me and yeah. at the bar. And they're all they're all looking at each other. It doesn't matter what you say. They are not. They're not interested. Right. It didn't matter that I was even there. I was just background music. And so I did the dang thing. I played the show and I walk off stage. And, and like I said, in my mind, I'm going home. I'm done. And uh, I walk right to the bar. And a guy approaches me and uh, he shakes my hand. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is Billy Carrington, like a big name. Uh-uh. No. And uh, I didn't even recognize that. He, I didn't even see him there the whole time. He was like around the edge of the bar with his girlfriend. And uh, he said, Jay, uh, I have no idea who you are. I just watched your whole set for the first time. And I'll just tell you a little bit about me. I was in Nashville for nine years. He said he worked at a concrete company before anyone gave a crap. Wow. That all, all I can tell you, just a little piece of advice, take her to leave it, but never leave. But just don't leave. Last man standing wins. And uh, Oh, he told you the last man standing? Nashville, uh, okay, for all of the listeners, here it is. Nashville is a war of attrition. Whoever is still standing at the end wins. And so uh, I love it. I'm going to quote Billy Currington here. That's the reason why I stayed. Um, and so I, just, I sucked it up, man. I was like, man... Uh, Another moment in time where God puts some words in someone's mouth and really yeah. shocks me and surprises me. So that obviously lit a fire up in, inside of me, and that was the moment I made the decision. No matter what happens, I'm just going to keep going. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know where it's going to take me. Um, I just know that God brought me here, and he's putting words in certain people's mouths unexpectedly to continue to reiterate that I should stay. So yeah. I did, man. I just uh, I kept doing what I was doing, making friends and writing songs. And it led to me getting a publishing deal. And uh, So for the, for the first time ever outside of Christian music or the church or leading worship, I was getting paid to do music. I don't know if you recognize the name Billy Currington, but in country music industry, Billy is country royalty. But Billy didn't start out that way. In fact, he told Jay that he spent nine years grinding it out. I want to ask you, would you spend nine years 
grinding out a dream that looks like it's never, ever going to come to pass? Or would you do what Jay did? I'm going to play one more show and then I'm going to head back to the farm. The brilliant advice that Billy gave Jay was just hang in there. It's not about the rising superstar that takes off like a rocket ship. It's actually the guy or the gal that just never quits. Did you hear Billy's advice? The last man standing wins. And here's why the last man standing wins in Nashville. Everybody else has already left and gone back to the farmlands. So you're going to single out. You're going to get singled out. You're going to get recognized when everybody else has packed up their guitars and left. And Billy Currington's simple piece of advice changed the future for Jay Allen. I, I want you to hang in there like Jay hung in there. And I don't know if you're ever going to run into a superstar, the king or the queen of your dreams. I don't know if you're ever going to meet that person that you're trying to emulate. But I do know this. You can learn from Jay Allen. You can learn from episode 84 of the Unbeatable podcast. If your dream really means that much to you, never quit. Because maybe the last woman, the last man standing will be you. And if you're the last person standing, then you win. So no matter what happens to you in 2024, don't give up your dreams. Don't go back to the farm. Hang in there because it really is a war of attrition and the last person standing wins the war. Guys, we're almost there. Listen, just three episodes left. These are your top three episodes by download by fan interaction. And I'm just gonna tell you, one of my favorite episodes for the entire year is in this top three as well. Number three on the list is Kyle Lamb. Now, Kyle was a very successful warrior, but then after he left the military, Kyle became even more successful. And during episode 93 of the podcast, Kyle and I just got honest with each other. Listen, I struggled when I left the military. I thought it was going to be supernatural. I thought it was, I didn't mean that like one word. I thought it was going to be very natural for me to step away from the military. I thought it was going to be super easy and it wasn't. In fact, it was far more of a challenge than I expected it to be. And Kyle describes his rocky transition out of the military. And then I tried to ask him, like, Kyle, you've done so well after leaving the military. And I have seen so many, just an untold number of amazing guys and gals who left the military after a few years or an entire career who really struggled. And many of them just self-destructed. They kind of burned in after the military. Why is it that you transitioned so well? And Kyle tells you, there's something that everyone needs to know when they transition into the next stage of life. It's actually good advice for every day during 2024. So here it is from episode 93 in Kyle's own words, why he was able to handle this rocky transition and be so successful anyway. Check out what Kyle has to say to this question. Hey, after leaving the military, you are very successful with Viking Tactics, but 
you, like me, and honestly, everybody that you and I know, uh, Kyle, we go through a little bit of separation anxiety. You've already talked about, you know, missing the camaraderie or uh, um, another thing that I think most of the guys and gals that we serve with struggle with is not having a really defined mission after you leave the military or law enforcement. How do you help coach people through that one right now? Well, it's funny you say that because that's what I continually tell people is you got to have a mission. I don't care what that mission is. Yeah. I mean, I started forging about three years ago. So I forged tomahawks and knives. What? Look beat at them you. Out of a piece of steel. I also make yeah. some that I just cut out of steel that I don't forge. But I started doing that because I, I always wanted to do it. And my son and I had an opportunity to go to a class in Ohio. Yeah. Uh, close to Chillicothe where Daniel Boone was rolled up by the wow. Indians. Yeah. And that's a mission. So if I have a mission to make a tomahawk today or to make a knife or to, you know, to work on something like that, that's a mission. Your mission might be to go fishing. Your mission might be to run a business, whatever it is, I would say have a mission. So first of all, you got to define what is a mission. Yeah. A mission is something you prepare for. So if you prepare for it, what does that mean? You got to think about it before you go do it. And I think mm -hmm. that that's, if your mental health is important to you, you need to have a mission. If every day you get up and you go, oh, well, what am I going to do today? You're, you're a failure. You failed already. If you go to bed the night before and you're like, hey, tomorrow, this is what I'm going to do. And I got to prepare. What do I need here? What do I need there? What, you know, what kind of fishing lures am I going to take? What steel am I going to need to make this tomahawk? You know, what classes am I teaching? Um, who am I going to go help or whatever? That to me is, is one of the most important. But the other thing I believe that has become more important to me. And I, as I've done this, I've, and my wife was the one that really drove this point home to me. What have you done for somebody else? Yeah. Because I promise you and, and anybody out there that's listening or watching or whatever. And if you, if you know me, you know, I've, I say this all the time, get up in the morning and do something for somebody else. That doesn't yeah. mean you got to do work. It doesn't mean you got to go mow their lawn. Right. But if you reach out to somebody and say, hey, man, I'm just thinking about you, you you, you have just made somebody's That's day. That's right, yeah. And if you, it's even better if you do it for somebody that you don't even know. And the good thing about that, and, and we lose track of this, and I, I catch myself looking at myself and thinking, oh, woe is me. I'd get, oh, this bag of gold, is this too heavy? Uh -huh. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. But when I, when I look outwardly and I take care of somebody else or help somebody else, my cup gets filled up. Yeah. And those are the two things that I would say, have a mission. I don't care what that mission is, have a mission. And then the second thing is take care of, yeah. of other people, I, however that is. I totally agree. I love Kyle's advice because Kyle is absolutely right. Listen, if your idea of retirement is sitting on the porch and watching the sun come up and the sun go down, you're basically wasting your life Kyle is absolutely right. You need something that fires you up and gets you out of bed in the morning. You need a mission. Everybody, you don't even need to be in the military to need a mission. Everybody needs a mission worth pursuing. And many people will just make that mission power or fame or riches. Kyle, couldn't have, I couldn't have said it any better. Kyle nailed what really 
fires people up. And that is when you decide you're going to do something good for somebody else. So I got a challenge for you. In 2024, every day when you get out of bed, make it your mission to find one person today and I'm going to do something good for them. Just one person. Kyle was very honest. It could be a phone call. It can just be a text message. It can be just a pat on the back, but I'm going to do something good for somebody else. I'm going to make it my mission to make somebody else feel good instead of making myself feel good. And pretty soon you'll be amazed at the way that you feel after getting up every day and making somebody else feel good in 2024. Kyle, I'm going to take your challenge. I'm going to live for somebody else and their good. In fact, I'm going to live for somebody else's glory in 2024. Now we're down to the last two. The number one episode by downloads is going to surprise you. It's not somebody in the military. It wasn't a super successful musician. It's not somebody from business or an author or somebody like that. The number one episode from the downloads of 2023 was a pastor from Texas named Dr. Ed Newton. Now, Ed's story is mind-blowing. If you've ever seen the movie Coda, Child of Deaf Adults, that's Ed's upbringing. Ed was the only person of hearing in a family where both mom and dad were totally deaf. Ed was thrust into translating and acting like an adult with mom and dad when he was a young child. And by the time that Ed got to middle school, he was making some mistakes. Ed's life was a mess. In fact, Ed was making everyone else's life a mess. And Ed doesn't hide it in episode 82. Ed is just really honest, very raw about the kind of selfish jerk that he was in high school. It was so bad that his parents came to him and said, you are making our lives miserable. Now, of course, they signed this to him and Ed was forced to look inside. And in episode 82, Ed describes what happened after he was forced to look at this middle school kid, this train wreck of a person that he was becoming. And I'm going to let Ed describe what happens when he looked inside and realized, I don't like what I'm looking at. Listen to Ed in his own words. And I, my life as a middle school kid, Jeff, was so, because I had to grow up real fast. So I'm running with yeah. an older and, group of dudes. And, and fighting Everything. for fighting for your parents' honor and basically fighting to pay the Correct. bills for mom and dad so that the world doesn't take Correct. advantage of I'm them. All, I'm, I'm, I'm in fighter mode constantly. And uh, my mom and dad on my 15th birthday in high school, literally, I, I'm almost expelled out of middle school for lighting off a firecracker in a public school assembly, some other stuff. I'm sorry, no, I shouldn't laugh at that, but I just got to because it sounds classic, man, Ed, right there, it, man. I mean, I, I'm literally uh, about to get kicked out of middle school. I since I had to interpret for my dad, I tell my dad I'm the best thing that's ever happened in the school. My, I realized yeah, they want to, 
they want to do a parent teacher conference because I'm so yeah, awesome. Exactly. And, and I, in that moment, my dad, for the first time I realized my dad can read lips. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and my dad, so long story short, I, I had a, a pretty horrific eighth grade experience at a lot of levels. And I realized yeah. that my decisions were crushing my parents. My, my 15th birthday, 1990, I, uh, my mom and dad find an interpreter in a church. And they uh -huh. tell me, they go, hey, listen, it's your birthday. And you have literally, in quotations, you've made our life so miserable. Wow. We're not, we told all our family, don't send you a card. We're not celebrating anything. Like it was, wow. it was hard truth. Like, listen, we want to celebrate you, but we can't. We just can't. And we found a church and we went to this church on a Wednesday night. And Jeff, I don't remember everything that guy said. All I know is uh -huh. Jesus died for all my sin. And I knew my sins were many. And if I put my faith and trust in him, I'd get a second chance. Wow. And so for me, when I heard that, that Jesus loved me enough to die for me and your sins can be forgiven. And I knew my sins were much. The stuff I'd done, I, I knew, yeah, like I was going to split hell wide open. And Jesus, um, man, He changed me that night. And and I'd love to be able to say everything changed immediately, but it, I mean, it was a slow, gradual deal. So for me personally, I'm on the other side of this incredible interview with you, with a legend that I, I greatly respect because of the fact, not just because I've overcome adversity. But because of the fact that Jesus is the one that made me unbeatable. Yeah, man, you're talking straight to me right now, Ed, because your story and my story are almost identical. 13 years old, I am making every wrong decision. I'm heading down every wrong road and I don't darken the doors of a church ever. And then my neighbors come knock on my door and they just start to tell me about this guy who loved me enough to die for me. And radically in one night, man, life just took a totally different turn. I woke up the next morning and I was completely mm -hmm. different and I got nothing to, or, you know, nothing to show for. I didn't do That's anything right. here. It was all done for me and inside of me, man. And that's what happened. I man. hope listeners, it, I hope listeners are hearing your story and saying, man, if he can do that for Jeff, if he can do that for Ed, maybe he can do that for me absolutely. too. Absolutely. And here's what I've realized. Jesus is not just this uh, historic stoic figure. Yeah. Like he's a warrior. Absolutely. Man, he's a warrior. And he fought for me, died for me, mm -hmm. came back from the dead for me and everybody that's listening to give us. And here's what I've realized my whole life, Jeff, I thought I was the underdog. What if we're not the underdog? Because by ourselves, we are the underdog. But when yeah, we got of course. the ultimate warrior with us, it's actually in our favor. No situation. Yeah. When he's on your side, you are on the winning winning side. I know how the story ends. We right. win. So that's, to me, I am where I am today. One word, Jesus. Ed is an amazing speaker. If you've ever had a chance to hear Ed from his church, he is a great communicator, but Ed is also very real and very raw with people. And Ed said, I got to the point where I had no choice but to look inside and say all of my mistakes, all of my problems. It's not because I have two deaf parents. It's not all of the responsibilities that were placed on my shoulders when I was a young child. All of my mistakes, all of my problems 
are my fault and I need a second chance. And Ed found that second chance, a second chance at a new life. He found it when he was in middle school and it made such an impact that Ed can't stop talking about it. Literally, he's been talking about what Jesus did for him in middle school for the rest of his life. And Ed, I am inspired by the way that you lead, by the way that you honor King Jesus. And Ed, I am honored that you would be able be willing to be a guest on Unbeatable. And apparently it's not just me because the number one episode from 2023 by downloads was Ed Newton. But of course, if you've been listening to this entire thing, you're doing the math and you're saying, wait a second, Jeff, that's number two on the list. So if Ed was the number one by downloads, well, what's number one on the list? And for me, the most fun that I had in all of 2023 interviewing people comes from episode 113. Now, I've had a chance to interview amazing guests. I've had a chance to hear incredible stories. In fact, I usually end an interview and when we turn the cameras off, I usually say to myself, what a privilege to be able to listen to these stories and to be able to share these stories with everybody else. Well, I heard a story while I was traveling overseas, the most unlikely story between the daughter of a very famous American World War II soldier and the two sons of a very famous German World War II soldier who fought against each other in what is considered one of the most bloody and the most difficult battles of the entire war. Certainly one of the most intense battles of the entire European theater in one of the greatest wars in American history. I'm referring to the Battle of the Bulge and Don Malarkey and Fritz Engelbert were on opposite sides of that war. And then 60 years later, you heard that number correct, 60 years later, Don and some of those famous band of brothers from D-Day went back to France to kind of remember the war and Fritz, his family challenged him, encouraged him to go back to France. Fritz didn't want to go. Fritz was miserable because of what he believed in and what he took part in. And he felt the shame and the guilt of it for 60 years until he showed up at the same pub at the same time with Don Malarkey. Of course, because of all of that shame and all of that guilt, Fritz is sitting in the corner and doesn't want to do anything and doesn't want to be recognized with anybody when Don Malarkey does the unimaginable. Gets up, walks over, leaves his band of brothers buddies, walks across the room and hands Fritz a beer. And from that moment, a relationship, the most unlikely relationship happened. And I want you to hear from Marianne from Matthias and from Volker, these children of these two World War II soldiers, what happens to their fathers after they connect and become like college buddies at this reunion? Listen to their own words from episode 113 
of the Unbeatable Podcast. Yeah, your father, like everyone who was fighting on both sides of the war, struggled with what they saw, with what they did. But in your father's case, I've just mentioned it already, dealt with the shame of buying into the Nazi, uh, you know, Nazi party lie and then learning what he really was fighting for afterwards. Um, but now I want to turn the conversation back to Marianne for a second. You're, you've already described your father as the kind of guy who always roots for the underdog. So he's going to get up and hand Fritz a beer. But it could have ended right there. For most people, it would have ended right there. Why did your two fathers become so close, really, for the rest of their lives? What happened next that caused your two fathers to become so close that if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see right behind Matthias and Volker, the picture of these two guys hanging out together like their buds, even though they were on the opposite side of the war and ideologically opposite sides of the world for 50, 60 years. Marianne, how did this relationship between Don and Fritz uh, grow so tight? Partially, I think it's because they each understood each other um, on a whole different level than than like, obviously, if you talk to me or if you talk to somebody else, when you have another soldier there and and they were together in a pub by themselves that evening that, that they first met with with Matthias, of course, Matthias was doing the translating. translating. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, you know, they both felt guilty for things that happened in the war. And my dad was really, really struggling with guilt for the amount of killing that he did. And, and Fritz had his own guilt that he was dealing with. And, and so what was so interesting to me is I, I don't, I don't really know how Fritz was because I wasn't, you know, it wasn't mm -hmm. his child, but they, they put their hands on each other on the table. And, and that is not like my dad, <laughs> my dad doesn't yeah. do, you know, right. you know, like physical contact like that with another man, you know? So it was something that if, if he did that, there was something there that something they special, both, right? Yeah. It, and what what ended up happening those next few days, it, when I hear about it, when I think about it, it was almost like they were two college guys that were, you know, just out having a good time together. And, and there was no, uh, no, uh, I can't think of the word, but, you know, they weren't mad at each other for yeah, what had sure. happened, you know, that that night in the in the pub they they gave each other forgiveness for what they did during the war and and that i think is something that my dad didn't even know that he was looking for and his his main concern when he got older was that he wanted to make sure he was going to go to heaven and he really did not think he would go to heaven he thought he was going to go to hell because of killing people all of the killing and, that he did yeah mm -hmm. and so and so for them to sit there together and and give each other forgiveness for their part that they had in a war is is unthinkable i i mean i just don't even know how how you do that you think about somebody that you've been mad at that has crossed you right and yeah. done something wrong 
I, I don't know if I could forgive them what they did, you know, but my dad, you know, I, he was, you know, like we said, it was 60 years later, he had been carrying this guilt around forever and he wanted it to go away. And, and Fritz did that. Fritz, Fritz gave him the, the ability to give forgiveness and, and, and then for my dad to accept forgiveness was from Fritz was just, was huge. The reason why episode 113 is number one on my list is because when two guys can connect with each other like Fritz and Don, when two guys that have gone through and done to one another what these two warriors from opposite sides of World War II have done to one another, when these two guys can offer each other forgiveness, when these two guys can form a bond, when these two guys can become buddies, and when it has this much of an impact, not just on them, but on their families and their children and their grandchildren, when that can happen for Fritz and Don, it can happen to you. So I'm hoping that you never experience anything like any of my guests from 2023 this year. But if they do, I hope you learn from the stories that you've heard. I hope that you face those challenges. I hope that you hang in there and don't quit and that you bounce back no matter how difficult the tragedy, no matter how terrible the mistake. I hope that you live unbeatable in 2024. So I just want to tell you, it was an honor to hear some of these stories and bring some of these guests to you this year. And I can't wait for you to hear some of the stories that are waiting for you in 2024. I'm going to wrap this interview up by telling you, usually we give away freebies. And typically, if there's a record or if there's a book from one of my guests, then I give that away free just because I want to honor the people that listen to this podcast. But because there are no authors, guests on this episode, I'm going to give you one of my books. So for somebody who lives in the UK and somebody who lives in the US, I'm going to give you a free copy of my first fiction book. It's called Certain Jeopardy. I'm giving it away just because I think you're amazing. And if you want to win a free copy of that book, all you have to do is be part of the Unbeatable Army. That's our email list where we send you info, not just about the guests, but about how to live unbeatable during the week. So if you want to join the list, if you're not already on the list, simply go over to unbeatablearmy.com. If you know somebody who could really learn and grow because of this podcast, would you tell them about it? Ask them to subscribe to us on YouTube or on their favorite podcast platform? And would you also interact with one another? I want you to learn about each other. And one of the best ways to do that is on our social media channels. Would you search for us at, or search for us on social media? Just look for us at Unbeatable Podcast and you're gonna find us on almost all of the channels. And when you're out there, you're gonna find amazing people like Ron Breland who was our fan of the week this week for our very special end of the year highlight reel for 2023. Ron, we think you're awesome. I think everyone who stays connected with this podcast is awesome. Thank you for joining me for your favorite 
my favorite episodes of 2023. I hope you have a great new year, and I'll see you right back here next week. God bless. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. 